welcome to Imagine Me in Utena, a revolutionary girl Utena podcast. I am Panda, I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host Alice. How you doing, Alice? I'm doing pretty good. Tonight, we have a very special guest. We did an episode uh, a few months ago where we talked about... Archimage, a fanfic that we were talking about in the broader scope of talking about revolutionary girl fan fiction. And one day I woke up and I had a Twitter notification from the author of this fan fiction uh, who had apparently found our episode. So naturally, my first impulse was to ask them to come on our show. So Jude, how you doing tonight? Pretty good. How about you? I am doing just fine. We have you here. Uh, first of all, we have to ask you, as we do every guest, who is your favorite character in Revolutionary Girl Utena? Oh, that's hard. It's probably Jury, honestly. Really? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that drew me into Utena originally was the fact that, you know, as a teenager, I didn't have science fiction and fantasy media that had queers in it and relatable yeah you know jury was the first one that i really tripped over who wasn't you know oh look they're a lesbian no we're, we're gonna take that one back or we're gonna do something we're gonna kill her lover whatever so yeah i kind of love jury i've i've played a character based on jury in a live action role-playing game i was i had fun with that what game oh that's interesting what kind of character if you don't mind my asking what kind of character uh was it what kind of game um the game was called sound of drums and it was written by a couple of friends of mine and i think i can't remember what run i was in of it but it was a few years ago and they kind of naturally cast me as the jury character. And it was kind of Wendy Peeney's elf quest mashed up with Utena. Okay. Um, so, you know, the, the game was a four hour, everybody sitting around having a council, but you know, one of the, people we were having a council about was kind of an Akio character who had kind of an Anshi character and then there was my you know jury character who had a uh, love uh, you know a female love interest and also had one of the I can't remember whether he was the Toga character or the Sionji character who had a thing for me and actually proposed to me during the course of the game which was the first time they'd ever had that happen so <laughs> Well, that sounds fun. Yeah, it was it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So our next question is, could you tell us a little bit about your history with Revolutionary Girl Utsuna? You kind of started with the, you know, jury being like the first queer character who didn't get taken back, but like how did you get into Utsuna? Well, um I moved I moved to the Boston area in 1998 and Later that year, I think, our roommate went to one of the local anime stores in Cambridge and came home with this uh, kind of bootleg fan sub of Shoujo Kakume Utena and thought it sounded cool, so we started watching it. And we fell in love with it after the first, oh, yeah, we, we hit the jury episode 
basically, mm-hmm. and fell in love. And then I got online and I spoiled myself for the whole series because I really didn't want to invest a whole lot of emotional energy into this series if, you know, she ended up with friggin' Toga. Uh- <laughs> Understandable. That is a very valid perspective. Yeah, it is. So I spoiled myself. I can't remember the website at that point. It's Oh, it was the Utena Encyclopedia that I found. And I just poured through all of the, all of the scripts because they had transcriptions. Um, and then I came home and I said, okay, we can watch the rest of this. <laughs> so, I mean, that was kind of the start of it. We watched the whole series. We, you know, I started looking for fanfic online and, I, you know, we were, we were waiting with bated breath for the movie to come out, things like that. How did you feel about the movie when it came out? And how do you feel about it now? Well, I mean, it. it I felt at the time and I still feel that basically the cast and crew all got together got drunk and possibly really high and then did the Utena cast party. <laughs> I, that sounds right to me. That sounds right. <laughs> I mean, cars, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm actually, I have plans to watch the movie this weekend. Oh, uh, yeah. The second time this is going to come up in an episode, but I'm very excited to watch it with somebody who's never seen anything Utena before. But, um, so how did you get into writing Utena fan fiction? Well, you know, I had started writing fan fiction long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, kind of literally, actually, with Star Wars and Star Trek and Pern um, back when I was in, when I was a tween long ago, before we knew what the word tween meant. Uh <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, wrote my terrible either parody fic or my terrible self-insert fic. And then I went to college and I started writing original stuff instead of fanfic. And then, you know, I, I didn't hit anything, like, all through the 90s that really tweaked my, my fan instincts. And then I hit Utena. And so I started reading fanfic online because I wanted to see what people were doing. And I was so angry (laughs) because basically all the lesbians in the fiction were were sad. Um, You know, I I hit Jacques Mart and I was so angry because they weren't, having a good relationship we also talked about Jacquemart for an episode (laughs) yeah yeah I mean they weren't having a good relationship and it it just it just felt like doom and gloom and I'm just like no they could be such a good couple if only people would write it and then I hit the the fic and I thank god don't remember where or the title of it but I do remember you know Jerry spending an entire fic angsting about being a lesbian and about shiori and then taking cyanide in the shower and that broke me (laughs) oh my god that's horrible i was so done with sad lesbians that i was gonna write a damn fic in which they were they were like loving and having a good relationship and found each other and things like that and I think I mentioned this to you in in our Twitter exchange that I really started writing this as sort of a love letter to my then girlfriend 
who is now my wife. Which is why I've decided to come out as an Archimage stan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to read the whole thing now because I seriously, when I read that, I was like, that's so beautiful. So now I have to read the whole thing because that makes me so happy to hear. I will say, like, if it makes you feel any better at all after listening to our episode, and this probably came through through the episode, Archimage was the one I remembered the most, and of what I had to read for that episode was the only one that more than a single thing stayed with me. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> and, yeah, actually, um, I can... You know I'm not surprised that you read Pern, because... After reading this, I can kind of see it. And also, I'm not surprised that you were motivated by the sad jury angsting about being a lesbian and then taking cyanide in the shower story because I, it kind of comes through. Yeah, yeah, I could I could see that. The, the thing that struck me as really funny in listening to the episode, and I think it was you, Alice, that caught this, was that the first three chapters hang together really well because I wrote them all at the same friggin' time. In, like, November of 1998. That does not surprise me in the remotest sense. And so I, I wrote I wrote them all, and my wife kindly read them and was thrilled with them and really wanted me to write more. And then I was like, well, maybe I should post them somewhere. Except, you know, in 1998, there weren't a lot of places to post. So I made my own website, and that was where I posted it initially. And I can't even remember how people started finding it, honestly. Is your site the one that's the broomstick? Yeah, it's the broomstick.org, which I'm surprised yeah. nobody ever tried to buy off of me during the, the Harry Potter heyday, but mm, oh well. I also am surprised by that. Yeah, yeah. I think they were going for the com- the comms and, you know, the .nets and things like that, not so much the .orgs, sadly. I could have used a, a nice influx of cash to, like, as a down payment on my house or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that was how Archimage started. Oh, um, how old were you when, if you don't mind my asking, how old were you when you started writing uh, Archimage? Well, 1998, I was 30. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and we had been together. We got together in 1995. So, we'd been together about 3 years at that point. And then I think I think I managed to turn out like three or four more chapters over the next maybe three chapters i think i might have gotten up to chapter six over the next two years and then i think the first hiatus hit (laughs) uh what year did you end up finishing archimage i posted the first chapter online in the beginning of 1999 and i finished the last and posted the, the the epilogue in August 2009. Wow, so that's a long time. Yeah, there were a couple of really extended hiatuses, but I had a, I had a couple of really dedicated fans who would email me periodically with, "Oh, I just went back and reread, and I'd really love to see more of this, though I understand if you can't or whatever." And um, somewhere in there, and I can't remember about when, I started writing uh, a novel and doing it like for a private group on LiveJournal. Mm-hmm. And I finished the novel. It was a space opera. It was all. It was basically teenagers, teenage schoolgirl, Victorian schoolgirls in space kind of thing. Um, and I finished it. And I'm like, okay, if I can finish this, I can finish Archimage. And 
you know, I was also inspired by the fact that Alan hadn't finished Jacques Martin had actually officially <laughs> abandoned it. So I'm like, oh no, I'm going to be the one that finishes. <laughs> so that actually segues nicely to a question I wanted to ask you because you were like on the inside. I do fan fiction too, or at least I kind of used to, but what was the community for that like? I know in 1998 there was a lot, it was a lot sparser, but like, were you aware of like were we aware of like a community around fic was there like a sense of conventions or popular ideas that a lot of writers used or like what what did that look like there was a community and it's it's a little vague now but i do you know i do remember finding fic probably on pit of vault i mean fanfic.net <laughs> you know the early version thereof but there was all there were also a lot of individual websites where people had had fiction archives and one of the groups that i tripped over that had particularly good fic um was basically run by erica friedman and alan was part of that group and uh god i'm blanking on everybody else's names there there were several like humorous series of fics on there, like Erica was writing the Anna Lesbicon uh, series, which was just funny. There was another person in that group who was writing an amusing series, but they were also posting serious fic, and they, I think they all kind of started in the Sailor Moon fandom. That makes sense. Yeah, and it kind of slid into it. And I don't know, are, are you all familiar with Erica? I know of her, uh, and someone uh, has suggested that we contact her to come on our show to talk about Yuri, but uh, no, I have, I've never uh, like spoken to her before. Yeah, she's, she's kind of the canonical person to talk about Yuri these days. But back then, you know, she was running, she was running a website with a fic group. And I actually, I applied to join the group, but they only accepted people who had finished fics. So <laughs> I didn't have any completed fics to wave at them. But I stayed in touch and I followed the Anna Lesbicon stuff. And so I actually ended up helping run YuriCon when it happened in was it 2004 i guess erica pulled it all together i i was running i was running registration i think and that was fun it was a fun experience that i will never do again uh, because running a con oh god no and even though it was a tiny con it was in new jersey it was great fun i un totally understand why erica never did it again <laughs> So that was that was kind of and and I ended up on a panel at Eurycon with Alan talking about Utena fanfic. <laughs> so that was kind of, that was kind of fun. He he did a lot of he did a lot of shorter stuff. Erica wrote a lot of shorter stuff. There was a, there was a, there was a sizable community of writers in like right around ninety nine between about ninety nine and two thousand four, and then the the community kind of dipped a little bit, and that's. I think around that time may have been when Yasha mm -hmm. really kind of mm -hmm. picked things up and started running with the community, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I want to say that's about the time. So, yeah, I mean, I was part of, like, online communities that wrote Star Wars fic back in the mid to late 80s. So there's always been this community around fan fiction and around different fandoms. It's just a matter of mm -hmm. 
who has access to it and you know now everybody has access to it yeah it's a lot easier to make fan communities these days yes for good there's, for better or ill there's so many more tools at our uh, disposal yes it's kind of hard it's kind of almost harder to make sort of concrete you know discrete communities from oh yeah massive you know tumbler things <laughs> so empty movement has a, a pretty bustling discord server a lot of things have moved over to discord servers they've basically uh, replaced forums at this point yeah and that's probably for the best i mean it's also it gives gives you a lot more real-time feedback definitely Although, you know, and I love Archive of Our Own, and I, I love the, the, the kudos option, but I kind of miss comments. <laughs> yeah, Archive of Our Own has some really good features, but it is not ideal. Yeah, well, none of them really are or ever have yeah. been, so. I got kind of spoiled by writing Ponyfic because they're sort of a bespoke website that hosts most of that stuff and functionality wise it is the best out there um even if even if the communities there tend to be garbage alice and i met through the my little pony online fan community did. i see did. that's cool and then i wrote a million words about it so do you have anything else before we jump in fans no so one thing that i wanted to ask you about because it's just this burning question i had about our was what's with the arthur stuff like what where did you was that sort of a i was reading it around that time and began to work it in or is like is there something in Uthana itself that you see arthurian slash welsh old welsh kind of stuff in or how did that happen well i'm trying to remember now <laughs> i think i was just trying to play with mythic elements that people would recognize and given my basic premise about Anshi was that she was she was a goddess and she'd been around for a while and figured that she would use she would probably bring bring in a powerful set of symbology to try to leverage it for her magic and some of that just sort of wove its way into the storyline and probably some of that was was on she's doing i think i'm remembering that correctly it's been a while <laughs> i did kind of like the idea of like this there's this sort of weird parallel between lady of the lake and anthony which i actually happen to like i, I probably like that that element more than I, I i've been the rest of the podcast did for that episode but i thought it was good i also kind of like the idea that you were kind of playing, I feel like you were playing with the idea of the Lady of the Lake in a more of the underpinning, sort of the underlying mythic, but also kind of vague Celtic thing. So I liked that, actually. Um, I also noticed a lot of, there, there's a there's a lot of referential material in here in regards to, like, I mean, Spencer, kind of. I know there's some, um, I don't remember what else is in here. I know that you've got... Milton at least once. Um, it, it's it's a lot of things written between 1500 and, and 1900, and I'm, I'm really curious. Like, is this just a I'm really well read thing, or is this a I, I was the Eng, I was an English major at school thing? 
I was actually playing with the fact that a lot of the fix that I was seeing were, were referring to dead white men all over the place. Dead white men quotes left, right, and center. And that was the reason that the epigraphs at the beginning of every chapter were all women. That's awesome. So I, I was playing with it as, and I was doing it a little clumsily in places, um, but I was playing with that, that, you know, actually, Utena is, uh, you know, my wife, my wife put it, uh, is Utena is about how women loving women save the world. And the fact that all these fics were playing with dead white men and their quotes and everything just kind of drove me batshit. So, um, so there was, so that was, that was where a lot of that was coming in. And actually, I'm not an English major. I just, I was relatively well read and I was also sort of stepping up my game because my wife is, was an English major. So, ah, I see. I know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I actually, I kind of liked it. There's a little bit of that sort of, it's, it's the part of the joy of reading things like T.S. Eliot is like, ah, huh, I got that reference. And some of it I actually thought was, was, was really good. I, I like that. I like that general idea of kind of focusing on uh, of re- every reaction against the old dead dudes are the ones who are mediating this experience through. Because when you say that, I'm kind of struck by, yeah, that, that is kind of true. That is that is a little weird. Yeah. And, you know, if the, the explanation of the actual title of the fic came from um, one of Mary Daly's works. And her interpretation of what Archimage was was what the definition that I gave on the on the website. So yeah, from 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 the very start, it was my reaction to seeing this really you know quintessentially feminist experience that is Utena. Uh, that so many people were seeing it through the through the lens the literary lenses of these of these dead white dudes. So I was very aspirational and ambitious. (laughs) (laughs) That is something that definitely came across. Like, I I mean, yeah, I didn't really read that much of it. I tried, uh, but I did read like the first three parts. And I did get a real sense of like ambition and like you were trying to set out to do something really cool here. And like, that's really cool, I think. Thank you. I think I was an extremely ambitious 30-year-old, and looking at it from the perspective of a somewhat less ambitious 50-year-old, um, I, you know, I, 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 I kind of want to pat 30-year-old me's head and say, it's okay, you, did, you do a good job, you did a pretty good job for what you could do, and... You know, I, I'm glad that people are still reading it. I The reason that I found the, the podcast was because I got a, a, a wave of, of kudos on AO3, and I was just like, who's wrecked this? So I went looking, and I found your, found your podcast. I don't know. I would be surprised that people would 
I, I like again I thought that we were a little mean and I felt very bad about it but uh I think it's great if we ended up getting people interested in it I because mean, we weren't that mean because like we, we 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 like threw Jackamar to the trash I we am also remembering mean. how mean we were to Jackamar because we were pretty mean to Jackamar <laughs> I'm not sure whether you all had 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 that effect or whether there was another wreck somewhere. But so I, I, you know, when I get these waves, I go, I go, and I and I ego Google myself just to see if anything's come that comes up. It's okay, I do too. <laughs> I'm not surprised that you talked about doing the first three chapters kind of very close together in sort of a rush, um, because those first three chapters are some of the smoothest writing I've seen on like amateur writing on the internet that I've seen in a very long time. Like you're like, you're welcome. They're just like, they're just, I don't know what it was. It was just something about how it, it's approach is kind of, how should I put this? It reminded me a little bit of Anne Rice in the sense that like it focused on the physical sensation, sensation and on it, like experience the sound the taste the feeling of the thing or the color and that was cool because like i find that a lot of people try to do that but they're also trying to do that in sort of a like i'm just putting words in here away but you, you were kind of trying you were kind of doing it in more of a like every single experience part of this experience has to be felt which I kind of liked, but I also noticed as time went on that you kind of moved back into more of a cerebral space. Did you intend to do that, or is that just a sort of a, you know, because you said, you mentioned you had a couple of hiatuses, and that will kind of change how you approach your story. Yeah, I think it was it was an artifact of the delays in writing, and, you know, I, I mentioned that I, that I was also writing original fiction at the time, and I think that changed or developed my writing style in different ways. I remember um, from the podcast that I can't remember who it was that mentioned um, this. There, there, there were spates of almost purple prose, and then there was this more sort of pared back style that you know, was very dialogue driven. Um, and I think that was that that definitely was an artifact of how my writing was developing at the time. It, it has it has fallen more into the realm of um, being that pared back dialogue driven mm -hmm. uh, type of prose. But I think I've done a better job of pull, pulling description back in than I was doing, say, in the mid aughts. So. <laughs> I can see that. I kind of figured it was like because at some point someone mentioned to me that there were several hiatuses and um and also uh, as I was reading, I think it was looking back on this, I think it was around part eight or nine. I started to get the feeling of yeah, having done this sort of like long hiatus thing, I can tell that this is a long hiatus thing. And I was wondering if I was right about that. Did you, did you have another one, Pants? No, I don't have very many uh, fic questions because I don't really do a lot of fic, and I figured that this would be sort of your wheelhouse. Okay, just making sure. Not to just, like, put any expectations on you. <laughs> so, there are a couple other things. I was wondering, like, you made the decision to sort of basically... I don't want to say Americanize, because it's not entirely what was going on, but, like, you, you kind of put them into America. And, well, Mickey goes to, to Oxford, which actually 100% was definitely what would happen. Um, I was like, I read that, I was like, yep, that's actually the complete we just canon to me now. <laughs> Was that more of a you doing that for specific reasons, or is that more of a 
I just know this better? Or or maybe even was that kind of a convention at the time that people would do that? It wasn't really a convention at the time. I think it's always been a, a tendency of writers to write what they know. Um, in this case, it was partly a, I know this better and I'm not going to mess this up as much as I would if I were setting this in Japan. And also it was part of that love letter aspect of it because we were living in Boston and the house that I put them in was not the house that we were living in, but it was a house near some friends of ours. And, you know, it was a part of, it was a part of Somerville that we didn't live in, but we knew fairly well. A lot of, a lot of things that, that were part of our lives found their way into the fic. Like there's the, the piece where Utena and Anshi are in New Orleans and that totally came out of one of our vacations. Uh, so it was, it was all, it was, it was partly me being a lazy American writer and it was partly love letter, if that makes sense. Them in New Orleans was actually one of my favorite parts because 100%, I mean, I, I, we live near New Orleans. New Orleans is actually my favorite city. I was actually born not far from there. 100%, I was like, yeah, this is New Orleans. This, she has been to New Orleans. She's wandered around there. This is exactly how New Orleans feels all the time. Oh, good. (laughs) That was really good. I also, I kind of liked the whole Madame Laveau thing. Mm. I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, because I think of that as being something that the only people in the world who know are either from Louisiana or they're really into voodoo. So seeing that in there was actually really cool. Um, so that was well, nice. it, it was it was because uh, my wife is an anthropologist, actually, and at the time she had done a whole pile of research on uh, New Orleans voodoo. So it was one of the reasons that we went to New Orleans was kind of to do the voodoo tours and things like that. So I felt it incumbent upon me to get Marie Laveau correct, because Mademoiselle is an important person. That's yeah, really cool. I mean... She is still kind of an important person. <laughs> yes, she is. You can almost feel her legacy there still. Yeah, oh, definitely. I Also, I kind of enjoyed the fact, by the way, that Uthana goes to college and she gets into a basketball scholarship because that made me laugh. <laughs> oh, good. I was like, yeah, that that that's Uthana. Like, she's she's dumb jock basketball player. You're like, yeah, that's her. And she's pretty okay with it. <laughs> She's fine. She's going to be, you know, she's going to be a gym teacher someday or a coach or something. Whatever. (laughs) Hmm. So I know that you had the whole thing with the, um, with the hiatuses that, that does tend to affect how one approaches stuff. I, one thing I was curious about was later in the fic, and as a warning, if you haven't gotten it by now to listeners, like we are, this is a little bit of a spoilery conversation. Uh, we're but... we're going to, we're going to spoil the fic and we don't have to worry about spoilers here. Like we already talked about it. Yeah. It's have... been out for 10 years. <laughs> it's been out for 10 years. You've had time. <laughs> Towards the end of the fic in the last third, we get sort of the introduction of an entirely new cast. Yeah. Had you kept the momentum going throughout, like, do you think you would have introduced them the same? Would it have been the same characters? Like, given another chance with just complete freedom over it, what would you have done? Just as sort of a, like, obviously you don't have to be, like, definitive or anything. I think I would have introduced them earlier in, in some kind of magical, you know, overview of Otori. I probably would have 
introduced them earlier or at least hinted at their existence earlier. Um, I don't think I foreshadowed that the fact that, uh, of course, Akio was going to keep playing the game, even without his Rose Bride. You do foreshadow the idea of the game continuing, as well as a new Rose Bride, but the entire new, yeah, like, I remember thinking at the time, like, damn, if these people had been introduced two or three chapters earlier, by now, they're just the, even if they didn't, weren't there a lot, just the collective momentum of them being a thing would have made what they do so much better and so much more interesting. Yeah, I, I think I would have introduced them a lot earlier and, I, yeah, and, and tied, tied, blended them in more. It's just, they, they do, you do kind of walk out into Otori and get slapped in the face by, why yes, the game has continued and these people that you know nothing about are here and now you should care about them. So I know that your favorite character is Juri and I felt that, I kind of felt that like your favorite character to write was Juri, <laughs> but I'm going to go to whim and say that your other favorite character to write was either Uthana or Anthony. I love both of them. You know, I, I think I have described the way that I feel about them as I would like to be more like Utena, but I identify deeply with Anshi. And um, I, I remember, I can't remember if it was you, Alice, or one of the other people who commented that they hit a particular conversation in the fic that made, that was vivid and major like the hairs on the back of your neck rise because you hoped that that wasn't something that i had experienced in real life yeah i do remember that saying that that it was yeah um which is why i identify deeply with anchi in a lot of ways um which may also be one reason that anchi is kind of backgrounded because i didn't want her and my affinity for her to overwhelm the fic and i probably went a little too far <laughs> in terms of backgrounding her um, but I figured, you know, it's from Utena's point of view, so let's let's play with Utena. And I, I love Utena, and I love her kind of goofy, dumb jock kind of thing. And, you know, the thing that I keep remembering about her is that she was 14. And 14-year-olds yeah. don't have a lot of, of, of depth of understanding of things <laughs> that maybe looking back as a 20-year-old she might think differently about so that was kind of an interesting exercise i can see that i was um oh one of the other things i was surprised by how i felt like your your portrayal of of both toga and seonji was surprisingly um was surprisingly sympathetic mm. would you mind talking about that for a bit I set myself the challenge of making the most unlikable characters likable, or at least sympathetic. Um, I think one of where I failed to do that was Shiori, but I had, you know, personal reasons for disliking Shiori because she was like every straight girl who had ever found out that their, you know, best friend who was a lesbian was in love with them and then played with that. So I could not bring myself to make Shiori likable, but I really wanted to make, I wanted to make Toga, I, I didn't want to make Toga likable, I wanted to make him at least sympathetic. And I thought Sayanji had potential to like grow up and 
become something more like a reasonable human being. And the same thing with Nanami. So that's that's what I was trying to do there. And I'm glad that I succeeded. <laughs> Samji definitely... I mean, Toga's still an ass, but I actually found myself feeling kind of bad for Samji because, like, it really did feel like, you know, he had tried to grow up and he wasn't necessarily a great person, but he was at least trying to be not an awful one, kind of. And it was it was interesting to see that, that portrayal of him having gone out from Toga's shadow while also kind of still in a in a broader and deeper way being still in his shadow. Yes. And I'm glad that came across. It's also interesting you mentioned Shiori because like literally last episode we kinda had this conversation of um like the last one we recorded. Shiori for me, as well as our guest last time, was kind of a some character archetypes just do not work for you if you have had experience with people who match that archetype. Like, sometimes life experience can make certain characters just not work for you. Exactly. Like, if I had, if I had met more people who are like Seonji, I would probably not be even mildly interested in him as a character. Because yeah. he's always like, I've, I've, got, I've had enough of that one. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. Uh, I do have one uh, thing that I wanted to say about the fic, and that was... Like I said, I didn't really read very much of it because I'm bad at doing homework for my own podcast. But one of the things that really I remember is in like the first, uh, in the very first part, there's that moment where uh, Utena is seeing like the tower just out like on like her, her college campus. And like, I just had like, I just, I was able to see that so clearly, like Utena just like trying to go about like a normal day and looking over and seeing like the specter of otori like in the distance and i thought that that was just such a haunting image and like it was that was just such a cool concept like even like whether you know like the ambiguity of like is she seeing things is like something actually happening like or rather like is it ptsd or is it magic i guess is a better way of putting it but like i just thought that that was really cool thank you yeah in retrospect i might have i might have ought to have played with that more and the unreliable narrator a little bit more rather than having Mm -hmm. anchi go oh no oh no we got to do something about that (laughs) I might have, you know, if I were going to do it over, I might, I might have played with that a little longer. I actually was uh, going to ask if there were any things that you could think in particular that going back you would have wanted to change if you could redo it. Well, y'all have read it a whole lot more recently than I have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. So you don't have to have an answer. Yeah, I. You know, I think as as you bring things up and I go, oh, yeah, I would totally fix that. Yeah, I'd probably just rewrite from scratch um, with, you know, there would be all sorts of new things that I would work in and the style would probably match my original fiction more. Yeah, I have. I can't think of anything that really stands out. Well, you're pretty far removed from it at this point, so that's understandable. Yeah, well, that happens. It's like, oh, and my most recent fanfic has been for Ghostbusters, so... (laughs) Please tell me that it's for the 2016 Ghostbusters. Oh, yes. 
okay, I'm going to need to I'm going to need to read that. I saw that movie a lot of times in theaters and that makes me very excited. I would love to read that. There's there's I think one genfic and the rest is kind of smutty. So just to let That's just fine. to warn you. Okay. <laughs> Alice, did you have any other questions? So this one isn't a question, but I really appreciated the name that they gave their cat. <laughs> I figured it was a good carry on from Anshi in the series. That was just gold. We definitely had a very good laugh about that in the episode. God, that was that was. Uh, this sounds awful, but like that was probably the high point of it for me. <laughs> Because it was just, like, the most perfect thing that you could possibly have done at that point. Because it was not only was it hilarious, but it was also simultaneously incredibly dark and incredibly revealing in a character way. And it was just, like, I galaxy-brained real big. But that one, just, like, this is so good. (laughs) Excellent. I'm glad that happened. So, I've actually been looking, as we've been talking about, I've been going back and looking through, um... And remember reading through this. How, by the way, out of curiosity, do you know how long Archimage is? Because I haven't actually checked. I don't know offhand. I know it's over a hundred thousand words. I, I will go see if Archive of Our Own has has helpfully <laughs> numbered, given me a, a number of words. Yeah, I know it's over a hundred thousand. It was. It was really the. It was. You know, it was the one of the few. It's really only like the second time I attempted something that was novel length. So considering that my next attempt after that, I actually completed, that was not bad. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I was, I was wondering because it felt it felt much longer than that. You know, like it, it felt really long. A hundred and thirty-eight thousand eight hundred and sixty-seven words. Really? Is that it? Yeah. I could have sworn it was like at least two hundred. Yeah, it felt like that when I was writing it too. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's long. It's longer than would be bought by the publishing industry as a first novel. So, I mean, once you hit like two hundred thousand, the story just starts writing itself. Yeah, just by momentum. So I was going to ask you about Mickey, and you, with Mickey, you have sort of like first off the decision that Mickey starts the fic with a man, which I liked because there's, I feel, I was like, yeah, there's, there's enough in the show to suggest that, or even not even just suggest it, just sort of say it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that scene with Toga sitting on the bed with the, with the drapes and it's really suggestive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I didn't like that. I'm going to be there real. There are definitely like implications it. about Toga and Mickey. Mm-hmm. I, I always got a little bit of the grooming vibes from their interaction sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is really unfortunate. But So you have that. What Do you remember what your sort of motivation was with his partner? His name escapes me. Robert, that's it. I remember because it was like really out of place because everyone else has Japanese names. Um, do you remember some of your thought path process with that character? Like what was your sort of what, what were you going for? What were you... Because I, I was wondering if you were trying to do, trying to parallel the whole being a toy to be played with that Toga sees Mickey as. I'm trying to remember. I know Robert 
was ended up being kind of the mouthpiece for the pompous white dudes writing fiction and quoting a lot of dead white men. Yeah, he does that a lot. Yeah. That was something that we remarked upon is how much he quoted uh he quoted from other things and i was kind of confused by that but in the context of like this being like in certain ways a response to all of the other fic that was happening it makes a lot of sense and i feel like if i had read this like while also reading other fics at that time i probably would have picked that up yeah i he was also me playing with sort of we know that mickey and jury and toga and sayanji all come from these aristocratic wealthy families and this and he was sort of my oh well here's kind of our western idea of what an aristocratic wealthy dude is let's ram them into each other and see what happens oh horror happens yes uh <laughs> so you know that's what i remember of where of where robert came from in addition to just you know mickey being a gay boy i was also trying to make make sure that it was clear that robert wasn't necessarily gay he was per- he was purposely involved with mickey as one of the tools of mm-hmm. end of the world etc okay yeah. does that does that help <laughs> I felt really bad about that. Alice likes Mickey. Yeah, I do, and I'm the only one. I've I've made my. Piece we did a whole episode about it. Yeah, we did a whole episode where we spent the entire episode just dunking on it. We were nicer to Sayoji than Mickey, actually. Uh, I love Mickey. Mickey's a great character, and I think, and I, that ends up being why Cosway had such a big role. You know, because he and and why he was so tied into that, and I think that's also where the hor- the the horrible Arthurian stuff came from. That was all Robert's fault. <laughs> I, I've got to say that, like, I love the sort of the the how Robert goes from being super sinister to being honestly kind of laughable, and at the end, he's sort of like. You know, I'm out of a job. Kind of like was very a Shakespearean moment. It felt like something literally out of a Shakespeare comedy. <laughs> I mean, the man tries to quote that bit about the um, God. What is it? Um, because it is bitter. Because it is my heart. And Seoji, who doesn't know English. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's just so fucking dumb. He's not a very oh smart boy. Like. Or like, oh my god, like using one of the holy sonnets, and it's just like, just blink, like really, really. That was so good. I like, I was wondering if that was a sort of a meta thing about making reference to other people's uses usage of material. And from what I'm getting from you, that was definitely like a meta thing. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was getting a little tiresome. <laughs> at the time <laughs> never chase it if you ravage me jesus so there's a thing towards the end that i'm curious about where anthe says so it's this um if i'll read it for you real quick um she said i'm dying too you know 
I said, what? And gripped her shoulders, restraining myself from shaking her. She looked into my eyes. Don't panic, Uthma. I'm not dying any faster than you are. Ages, aging is interesting. I think I'll enjoy it. I slid my hands beneath, behind her then, touching her strong scapula. Her masses of dark hair, like the precious and temporary things they were. I think I will have a daughter this time. What's going on with that? That is the basic concept of Anshi as a goddess, as a mother goddess, mm-hmm. as the first god, and that Akio was always her son. So, okay, so it's that. I was wondering, like, I was trying to figure out if this is a kind of a reference to that, or, or is this sort of a... Because it also says the end and the beginning, too, and I was always wondering, like, is this a sort of, like, being reborn thing, or... Yeah, okay. it's Akio being reborn, uh, because he, he's always been a dying god. He's, he's like, the dying god archetype. He just... You know, he didn't like being a dying god, so he became an asshole. So, <laughs> um, so he finally died, and now Anshi's pregnant again because that's the cycle. You know, he ha- he dies and is reborn, but if she wants to break that cycle, then she needs to have a daughter. Yeah, it's like a perverse um, combination of the of the Fisher King and mordred i felt like mm-hmm. i mean it really is he really does have sort of a mordred air at certain points in this especially in the in the um and the privilege chapters where like you very much get the sort of like the blind rage of being of, of railing against the fact of being born which are which i have seen people do in their depictions of mordred that is really interesting um he actually kind of reminded me he reminded me a little bit of have you ever watched Fate Zero or any of the Fate stuff? No, I haven't. I will recommend Fate Zero because it's one of the best written anime ever. Uh, okay. But in the Fate series, um, they have sort of a depiction of Mordred, and I really, I really got like I like I was very much feeling that depiction of Mordred in here, where so much of the motivation comes from the simultaneous wanting to be like. Wanting to be accepted, yet also hating being what he is. Um, I think I I, I, pro- I might have mentioned this in the episode. I'm, it's a be surprised if I did this. Um, it, that I always kind of with this show, I'm always going back to a little bit and some character card that I read in college. Um, from the concept of no, it's the same time to death, where he talks about the idea of despair being that like a man says in his heart, "I will be Caesar or nothing." And when he fails to be Caesar, finds that he can only be nothing. He is in despair, not over not being Caesar, but in being what he is. Mm. And I, like, I kept, I did definitely came back to that over and over again, reading this the first time, and also kind of re rereading this in the lead up to talking with you. That I, I felt like that was sort of a recurring thing here, not just with Akio, but also with some of the characters. Like, I definitely got that with Seonji, where Seonji's ability to move on is always sort of like held back by the fact that being what and who he is is itself the problem not who he's with even sometimes yeah sound like you you kind of get what i'm saying yes i am i am reminded and i cannot in fact pull up the entire the exact quote um but if you have seen hannah gadsby's nanette yes yes she talks about 
the fact that when she was living in her trauma, she was just stuck. And to, to get out of being stuck, to be able to tell other stories about herself, she needed to get, you know, she needed to stop living in that trauma. And I think a lot of the, you know, Utena is, the, the whole thing to me is, is about trauma and indiv- diff- different individuals' trauma. Sayonji is stuck because he can't leave the story of him and Toga behind. I mean, he married frickin' Keiko, and he, he hasn't been able to leave Otori behind because of that. Jury's done a much better job of leaving Otori behind because she, has, she hasn't gotten stuck. But, you know, there's always that echo of, of the girl I was in love with. Maybe she's a human being now, uh, except that she isn't. Um, but but Tayanji in particular is, is horrifically stuck because of that. I can kind of see that this so like I mean they all have the sort of I mean if I had to sum up this fic for somebody I would probably emphasize this idea of you know moving beyond something yeah which is it, it's part of what makes those first four chapters flow together so well is that like they are all very single-minded and they in being about living in a the two of them living together while simultaneously not really being able to escape even though they've escaped physically right yeah and that, and that's where the why there's that movement be, between the different time points that i probably could have demarcated a little bit better uh, <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's they're constantly sort of falling back into into the past yeah yeah i think that's what i was trying to do i was i was doing a lot of processing for myself yeah in writing the fic too and and trying to move on yeah the the image of the otori bell tower i mean the otori tower just being there in the skyline of boston is one of my it's probably my favorite part of the fic because it is really arresting it's just like I felt that whole sequence. It's very visceral. That and the car noises. I think when they're in, in New Orleans, um, it's just that got me. I'm vaguely remembering now that I think one of the th- that 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 image actually was one of the things that came to me really strongly when I was first writing that. Because now I'm now I'm remembering. Like, where I was standing, looking at the skyline of Boston, thinking that, you know, the Otori Tower would be just visible over that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm I'm remembering that now. I remember where I was working at the time and my commute and get and I was I was getting off the train near Boston University, which I believe is where Utena was going to school. Um, so yeah, I remember that now. I remember looking at the skyline and thinking that. Okay, I got a little bit of the chills listening to that. that, that, that I did too! Cool. That is incredibly cool. <laughs> One last big question for me is in regards to when you do fan fiction in general, you're always kind of writing in someone else's world with someone else's characters, but with Utena and with shows like it, 
I find there's another element of you're also kind of writing in somebody else's like small play box of like playset. There's not really the world beyond there's not much of a world beyond a Tory that we know about or that we can really speak about in a meaningful sense. And it's fascinating to me people are able to write fanfiction at all in Utena because it's like how? How do you work with having so little world so little space well i think i think in a lot of ways having that little tiny sandbox is just as freeing as you must now write this drabble in a hundred words you know a lot of people find that find a really tight constriction surprisingly freeing in a creative sense and honestly, I mean, if you think about it, Harry Potter is kind of the same way. It's not quite as small a sandbox, but it's still a sandbox, and there's not a lot of real world there. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to the follow-up. If you had to explain Otori in three sentences or less, how would you do that? Hmm, three sentences or less. Because we've we have had a bunch here. We have had. Um, I know at some point we have played with the idea, of almost part, only partially jokingly, of it being some kind of pocket dimension or purgatory. <laughs> um, we did call up, it purgatory last episode. Yeah, I brought up it being the island from Lost, um, and very jokingly, but like at the same point, I'm I'm now tempted to write some kind of crack fic where. Lost and Uthana happen in the same cinematic universe. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that's too far off. I think calling it a, you know, a liminal space between life and death and salvation and damnation is probably not that far off. Um, have you ever seen Haibane Renme? I have not. I also have not. It was by the same dude who did uh, Serial Experiments Lane. Oh. I've heard of that. Yeah. And uh, Nia Under Seven. There was like one other one that he did. He's probably done more since. But Haibane Renme is this... It's a city. It's this, this walled city. And our characters are... Haibane, they're, um, they're almost all the, all the characters we care about are young women who have little tiny gray wings growing out of their backs, and this marks them as Haibane, and there's a real sense there of the place that they're in is this liminal space that could take them to a kind of purgatory or to a kind of hell or possibly back to the land of the living trying not to spoil it too badly but um it, it's it otoria you know otoria is not quite as far along as the city where the haibane live because you have people who can return to the land of the living utena presumably returns to the land of the living everybody who graduates except for Mikage, can go to the land of the living. 
But Mikage, of course, is dead. Like everybody in that whole story arc. They're all dead. Hey guys, dead. Panda here. And you graduate, you go to the hell. Last five um, minutes at least that's my read on it. <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead and skip to the plugs. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at Utenacast. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Impandanata. If you're interested in any of my other podcasting work, you can check out The Fresh Podcast Market, a real podcast about fake podcasts that I host with my friend Teresa, and Monica Magicast, an upcoming Monica Magica podcast that I'll be producing featuring former guests of the show, Yasha from Empty Movement, and Amanda. If you'd like to follow Alice on Twitter, you can do that at Liarwolf, which I will not spell for you. If you would like to support her, you can do that at her Kofi, where she's taking commissions for fanfic and other such writing. And if you would like to follow Jude online, you can do that at Heaven's Calyx pretty much anywhere. Or you can find her at her website, which is judemclaughlin.com, where you can check out her queer superhero fiction. You should definitely check that out. I guess that does us for this week. Revolutionize the world, everybody. See you later. (laughs) 